Alan Mead is a dentist with too much time on his hands and too much recording equipment in his basement. Armed with an obsession to bring entertaining and informative content to the dental world in a way that's never been done before, I give you the Alan Mead Experience. Hello and welcome to the Alan Mead Experience. My name is Alan Mead. I'm a dentist, podcaster, and the boogeyman. Uh, my voice sounds sort of funny to myself. I just, just woke up. It's like Labor Day weekend, Sunday, relatively early. I just woke up, uh, and I got a story to tell you. First, I'd like to thank the people who helped make this show possible. Premier Dental Products, Inspired Solutions for Daily Dentistry. I really appreciate that they are supporting the show. And uh, I, don't, I have nothing but nice things to say about pretty much all their stuff. But um, so I woke up and I was kind of given this gift or this curse. I'm not sure which yet, still working through it, uh, of a dream. So before I go too much further. It's time for Dental School Horror Story. <laughs> So in a couple weeks, uh, I'm going to be presenting at uh, Densply Serona World. Very exciting. Should be fun. Um, I am presenting a variant of my story. Anyone who's listened to me for more than five seconds has heard that um, there was a time in my life that I struggled with drugs and alcohol, uh, and and I've since since kind of pushed through that. But I I've and I've told my story publicly like so many times. It is almost, I, I think people who've heard it before would probably be bored by it. It's, I've given, given the story publicly so many times. And um, I was trying to put together something. I only have an hour at Dents by Serona, which is great because an hour is plenty. Uh, but in the past, I've, I've spoken on addiction in general, and then I usually finish up with my story and then give time for questions, which is great. Uh, I'm doing something a little different. I'm actually, I realized a few months back that... Um, the t- the my first email address coincided with the time that I started abusing alcohol in dental school, and so I thought I would make kind of a clever connection between the two of them. So uh, the actual presentation is called "Emails from My Addiction." I think it's going to be really interesting and kind of fun, kind of funny. I, I I sometimes hesitate to make light of of my past that way, but if you don't, you kind of go crazy. So anyhow, why the theme music? I I had a nightmare about dental school last night, and what's really interesting. I've heard lots of people talk about having nightmares from dental school. My dad included, actually. And I, I have very few of them. I, I think probably because I block it out a little bit. Um, I, I have very few nightmares from dental school. None of them, like, directly about dental school, usually. And uh, I had one last night that was super vivid, and I've come to realize the way that I felt all the time in dental school, particularly in first and second year due to preclinical stuff. I think, I think it's the key to the reason I started using alcohol and then eventually drugs the way that I did. So this nightmare, I'm just going to set you up. This nightmare, apparently in the nightmare, I was, I was a dentist at this point. I know because like, I think I was taking like a, a continuing education course or something. I don't know, but it doesn't really matter because it it happened the same way that it happened to me in dental school. And I just, 
I woke up feeling the super raw feelings that I remember feeling constantly in dental school. So the setup is, is, um, I was in some kind of a like a preclinical lab. It was like a, it wasn't it wasn't the University of Minnesota. It was somewhere where you had a bench and you were you know preparing teeth and you and you were doing a wax up and you were I don't know I I think it was like a class where we were maybe going through the workflow of how Emacs or zirconia is made or something like that in the dream I don't know because so, I was definitely already a dentist and I was taking it with other people that knew what they were doing and um. What happens, just like in dental school, what I, what I remember is that they gave instructions for, I just, just to step back, this was only preclinical lab stuff that did this to me. In other words, when we were supposed to use our eyes and our hands on a typodont is when this stuff happened to me. Academically, dental school was, I'm not going to say it was easy, but I have this kind of creepy Cliff Clavin memory. So like I remember stuff that is unreasonable for a human to remember many times. All I needed to do was go to the lecture and it was there when, when the test question was asked, it was there. Uh, I took good notes, but I mean, I, I had, I have sort of a superhuman recall about stuff like that. I, I can say this because, um, I was lazy about studying and I still did quite well in academic classes. Like, uh, I, I, to a fault, I was lazy to the point where you're like, I tend to think to myself, if you'd only like tried a little harder, imagine how well you would have done, but I didn't. And <laughs> I did that all through high school, college and dental school. So I, I tended to, my study habits are still terrible. I still tend to procrastinate on things, all that stuff. But you know, you couldn't really fake it in preclinic, right? Cause you were, it was sort of real time. You were learning how to prep a class two cavity. Or you were learning how to prep an onlay, or you were learning how to prep a, a gold crown, or you were learning how the and, and in, at the University of Minnesota in the mid nineties, we did all our we did the lab work. I mean, if it was a cast gold restoration, and a lot of it was, we did we did it from start to finish, from prep to impression to you know pouring up model work, waxing, casting the whole thing. I think that had some value to it. But what I remember, and maybe this isn't accurate, but this is the way it felt, was that. Errors while you were learning were unacceptable. You were supposed to be able to just read the book, uh, follow the directions that your your lab TA would give you or whatever, and you were just supposed to be able to do it, which is quite literally, for me, the dumbest thing ever because uh, it's like um, I quit golfing. Oh, God, it's probably been 10 years. On Father's Day, about 10 years ago, literally third hole, at the Midland Country Club for Father's Day. My my dad and I were golfing, and my brother-in-law and his dad were golfing. And I walked off the I walked off the golf course after the third hole, and I've never golfed since. And I feel like that's maybe the best gift I could have ever given my father because um my I couldn't keep my cool. Like I couldn't like I'm not good at golfing, and my temper would get to me. Yeah, I I wouldn't I wouldn't keep my cool, which is funny when you think about it. Because how do you get better at something? You get better at at you know taking lessons, doing it a lot, doing a lot of reps, doing a lot of you know a golf swing. Anyone who's good at it is has probably been doing it for a really long time and and has developed a swing. Now there's plenty of people that have been doing it for a long time and are terrible at it, and they but they enjoy it enough 
that they keep at it. I was not that person. I was terrible at it, and I had a reason to be terrible at it. I didn't do it very often. Uh, but for whatever reason, in my, my caveman brain, I was supposed to be good at this for whatever reason right off the bat. And so I walked off the course. I've never been back. And um, so you can see that maybe maybe my brain is a little bit black and white. Either you're the best ever or you're terrible. And I don't know. That's probably a fault of mine. But dental school, to me, struck me as the same stupidity. Why would anyone be good at preparing this tiny little tooth the first time around? But the way I remember it is like you were held to a standard of someone who's been doing it for years your first time around. And... The other thing I remember, and this was super vivid in this dream, is that there were there's always, you know, when you're doing something, there's always five critical errors you might make. And and if you make this error, it's going to carry on to the next step and the next step and the next step. And it's gonna be it's gonna be a total nightmare and and that's that. And of course, anyone who's practiced clinical dentistry realizes that like the situation that they're giving you in dental school to prepare a class two cavity or prepare a, you know, an MODL onlay or whatever, they're holding you to a standard and they're telling you how they want it because there's not any actual decay in the tooth. There's not, there's not an actual clinical situation. You're simulating that. So they sort of hold you to this standard, but when you're brand new at it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It still doesn't. And if, if they're doing this in dental school, anyone who's in dental school listening to this possibly, I'd love to hear if that's how they're still doing it. In any case, this is where the, the dream comes in. So uh, for whatever reason, uh, in this dream, I made critical mistake number one on the preparation of the Typonaut tooth. Uh, I don't even know what it was. I thought it was a couple crowns that were just regular crowns, but apparently I made the critical error in, in the first step. And so then days went on and we were doing step by step and everything compounded off that first critical error. So there were a bunch of things in dental school that really really got under my skin and kind of put me in this constant first off I always made the critical error whatever the critical error you were not supposed to do I always did it I always and I always went in with the idea that whatever I do I'm not going to make this error and I always made it and it's probably because it's easy to make it why else are they telling you that this critical error is there but doggone it if I didn't walk into it every time and I don't you know whether that's an undercut on a prep or you or or over prepared uh interproximal or whatever on a type it on it was just whatever whatever was the the critical error i always made it they always told you what you were going to do and i always walked into it and and of course that always affected the next step so you were always it wasn't just that you were preparing a crown it was that you were going to impression this crown and it was going to make it harder to impression and you're going to get less less ideal of an impression and then it was going to make the model tougher and then it was, gonna, it was always that and i always made it in the first step and then on top of it, what I remember, and in this dream it was very vivid, is that my peers didn't have this problem. My peers all seemed to figure it out, walk through it, and do just fine. And so I was constantly seeing that my peers were doing well, understood this stuff, and didn't make the stupid critical error, and I always did. Now, this was happening in this dream, but this is my memory of preclinical fixed pros, particularly in second year. And... So it's like your life sort of becomes this microcosm of everyone else is doing great and you can't figure it out. And I'm literally sitting here in my basement in 2017 and feeling this horrible, the same way that I felt in dental school all the time. This, this was the feeling I constantly had. 
not only do I, I can't seem to figure out what everyone else seems to have figured out and they're doing fine with. And then that's essentially how I started, you know, with, with the way that I treated drugs and alcohol. Like you throw into that, the culture of dental school and people drank a lot. And, you know, part of it was that we were early twenties, a lot of us single, a lot of us, you know, a lot of just what early twenties people do. They go out to the bar and have a drink, you know? So, so what to me seemed like a normal situation and I didn't realize that I was doing it at the time became this chance for me to have a, a release valve for the feelings that I pretty much constantly was eating. You know, the, the other thing is, is that what I remember about dental school is that if other people were having these issues, if other people were struggling in the same way, very few of them admitted it. Like I never, I never knew that they were, it seemed like to me, my peers were all doing great with this stuff. And I was the only one who sucked at it. Probably that wasn't accurate, but if you remember in dental school, or at least in dental school where I was, you played everything pretty close to the vest. Like, you just, if you were doing well, you acted like it was par for the course. If you were doing well, you just acted like, well, of course I am. I'm doing fine. Like, there was a lot of this sort of, um, you didn't want to, you didn't want to let, show any weakness to your peers, you know, and, and maybe again, that's just me. This is all my perception of it. I have maybe I was missing all of it, but in any case, it's all, it's what mattered is my perception and the way that I took it home. So very, uh, very, it was a huge struggle. So, but it, it went on to the idea that I would just continue on down this road and it was always hard and it was never working. And in my mind, I always thought to myself, how does this ever work in the real world when you're actually working on patients? If everything is so critical and, and this, this error is going to make or break everything and everything, there's always something that you can monumentally screw up. How does it ever work in the real world? And of course the answer was, well, everyone else is just good at it and you suck at it. So like it didn't take long for me to, to go from, wow, this is difficult to, wow, I'm a terrible person. I shouldn't be here. I, I can't do this. And everyone else can. And it just made me feel like less and less and less of a person. And the fact that no one really talked openly about the fact that they struggled with it also made me feel like less and less and less of a, of a person, good person. I just felt terrible. So when everyone was social and would go out, we have drinks. And, you know, at the time I didn't know it, but all of a sudden this became, this became my release. This is how, you know, these constant feelings of inadequacy and, and, I'm not good enough and everyone else is getting this and I'm not, you know, this constant thing was, was grating on me. It was just, and what I realized over time was if I had three, four beers, I felt better. Like I was able to, for at least for a short period of time, I was able to maybe let go of this inadequacy and this, these feelings of, of not being enough for a short time. And so even though we were all going out and drinking similarly, like physically, we probably had the same number of drinks. And we were, what, what I came to realize that maybe a lot of other people didn't was that this was a mechanism. This was something I could use to cope with my feelings because the feelings weren't going anywhere. No matter, no matter what the course was, no matter what I, I always, if it came to preclinical lab, I struggled. There was never a time, there was never a part of preclinical lab where I'm like, Hey, I've got this. Every, every time we would take a new class, do a new procedure, it was always the same thing. I would fall into the, the preclinical you know, 
critical error right off the bat, and I'd be digging out every. And the other the other thing that I remember is that I would be days behind. Like I would I would be we'd be doing some Mickey Mouse thing, and somehow or another, after a week, I would realize that I'm two days behind in where I'm supposed to be, and everyone else is on time. And so, like everyone else is is pushing through the whatever step they're supposed to be on, and I'm three steps back because. Uh, you know, they, they've already cast their gold and they're working on finishing and polishing it. And, and my wax up broke and, you know, like five days before. And so I'm still struggling to, you know, like it was always that. And then in this dream, it was very funny. It's almost ironic in this dream. I was supposed to have waxed up some crowns and in this dream, my dog ate one of my wax ups, which, which is so classic. This, this is actually in the dream. It's my current dog. Who is literally you know twenty seventeen? She's two years old. She she ate a wax up in this dream. I I don't know how she ate it, but she did. And so like where everyone else was ready to was ready to to invest their their wax up and whatever. I I literally didn't have a wax up, and then in my preparation was broken when she did it too. So I was too you know I was multiple steps behind, and I sucked at everything. And so it was just this thing. I woke up and I it was so real. It was like I was there, and it was and I was remembering. This was how I felt all through dental school. I just felt so much less than, and it's no wonder I constantly kept my head down. I didn't, I didn't try and do any more than I was than was asked of me because every time I tried to do something, it just, I just got smacked down. Now, understand that this was a prison of my own making. This, uh, maybe, maybe the instructors at the University of Minnesota were particularly inhumane, but part of this was where I came from. Part of this was that I wanted to hold myself to a standard. Part of this is that I had, I had my hand skills sucked. I mean, like I, everything that required hand skills in dental school came slower for me. But what's interesting is, you know, 25 years later since then, uh, I seem to have caught up. I, I don't, I'm not claiming to be, uh, some Michelangelo, but you know what? I, I managed to do stuff. Okay. With, (laughs) with the hand skills that we, we require. In fact, between you know magnification and learning, I think I do as well or better than anyone else. That's fine. No one in dental school ever said, "Hey, this takes some time. You'll learn this. This is something you can learn." It was never that at all. It was always like, "On the first try, you better be perfect, or else." And they they, they graded it as such. And so, you know, could instructors have helped me? Yes, they could have. Literally, that that if someone could have told me multiple times, "Say, hey, look, you'll learn this. This is going to be okay." I might have changed my perspective, but my perspective, which was mine and my own, I learned it, and this is how I hung on to it was was just that that you're terrible, you're you aren't as good as your peers, and you'll never be as good as your peers. And so I was constantly walking around in this. It was everything was life and death too. That was the other thing. Everything like I wasn't married, I didn't have kids, I didn't have a girlfriend through ninety eight percent of dental school. I didn't like so the only thing I had going was dental school. And so, you know, if you're basing your worth on on what's in your life and the things that that's what I base my worth on, and I sucked at it, right? Like, <laughs> I'm sitting here not having to study because I did okay with with the academic stuff with the with the very little studying that I did. So I had plenty of time to think about how much I sucked, and you didn't have an opportunity to do reps. It wasn't like you had a chance to just try. 50 preparations so you can kind of understand what your hands and your eyes are doing. It was never like that. You got like one shot at it. You were, you know, basically you would have 
one, you know, porcelain fused to metal prep on a premolar and you got one shot at it, you were graded viciously and then you took a you took a practical on it and you were also graded viciously. It wasn't like, hey, here's how you break the contact when you're preparing a crown. It was never that. You got one try at it and and if it just didn't go well the first time, that's all the practice you got. We didn't get lots of type on teeth. There was not an unlimited supply, at least not when I was there. And frankly, I do believe that soon after soon after that they had a vending machine with teeth. So you could just go buy. I mean, I was I was even then convinced if I could just get a lot of teeth to work on, but they didn't want you to do that. For whatever reason at the time, they felt like doing that, maybe it was the idea that if you did a whole bunch of reps and did it wrong, then you would get bad habits. But I'm like, I, didn't, I never even had a chance to get bad habits. I had no habits, right? It was just like, <laughs> just do it right the first time and everything's fine. And, and I didn't have those, you know, those physical skills, the handsets and the eye coordination so but that's why i'm convinced that that like i walked around dental school and it was like it was like my own post-traumatic stress disorder which when i say that i'm almost embarrassed because like people who actually have post-traumatic stress disorder many of them have been through actual things that were horrible and tough on them but what's really funny is i'm convinced that my brain was going through the same thing that actual PTSD survivors were. It's not that my situation was actually bad like that. My situation was not actually that the enemy was firing on them or that I was being abused. But but my brain, because I had so little perspective and this was my entire life, my brain acted as if this was life and death. Everything was life and death. And I wasn't doing well with it. And so I'm, I'm literally holding myself to this standard. Like I couldn't, it wasn't enough that I wasn't good at it. I had to flog myself constantly for not being good enough at it instead of trying to get better at it because they weren't really interested in letting you just kind of ruin some teeth, plastic teeth and learn how to do it. They just, they just let you feel bad about it apparently. So this was my state constantly. I was just in a constant, just, I can only imagine my cortisol levels. I was in this constantly stressed state, feeling horrible about myself. And lo and behold, um, going out for some beers gave me a little bit of respite from it. So literally I understand why I developed that as a coping mechanism. I've told my story publicly so many times and I sort of glaze over that part of the story because I didn't remember it vividly. I'm sure that my, my little brain has done that on purpose where I don't remember the specifics of it, but this dream brought it back vividly that that cycle of making a critical error and being held to it for the entire procedure. And so because I screwed up one time in the beginning, it was harder for the whole process to go through. And, and I was always doing, I was always behind my classmates in time. I was not getting it done on time and I wasn't doing as well as they were. And I, and I just, I woke up and I was just like, I just felt horrible, I felt horrible about myself. I felt horrible about, about the situation. It wasn't even real. It was just a dream, you know? So the fact of the matter is I developed drinking and drugging as, as a way to cope with that. That was, at least I could make those feelings go away for a little while. Those feelings of inadequacy, those feelings of not being good as everyone else. And it is no wonder that I bristle at so much of the comparison that we as dentists make to each other too. It's no wonder that I, that that really rubs me the wrong way when everyone's bragging or, or telling everyone that they're not doing it right or whatever, because I just, that's just the way it was for me in dental school. And I know that there's people that went through dental school that did not experience this, that actually 
felt like dental school was a great experience for them. And, and, and I always say that I hate those people, but actually I don't hate them. I'm jealous of them. I'm jealous that they had the mental fortitude and frankly, they had the resilience to just let it roll off their back. I did not. This was my world and I was failing at my world, you know? And, and so for people who did, I, I wished that I had that and I didn't. And literally I carried that into the first several years of my career. So imagine, you know, I remember clinically that things sort of started to come together when I finally was practicing. I, I practiced with my dad as an associate for a year, and he helped me. You know, he was the opposite of those instructors. He he, when I couldn't figure something out, he would help me. And and so in some ways, I I busted through that. But unfortunately, the coping mechanism I developed held with me. And worse than that, it was I, I realized that drinking alcohol the way that I drank it. Uh, was weird when you were alone and you were, you weren't with friends and you were, you know, like I didn't, I came home after dental school. I didn't have a big social group that I could go out to the bar with and, and laugh stuff off. Uh, I didn't know that many people. And so I drank alone, you know, I, I definitely use that as a stress release. And then lo and behold, uh, opiate pain medications came into my life. They free samples showed up at the office and I was off to the races. That's, that's kind of how it switched over. It's as simple as that. But the thing about it is, is that I think it all kind of started with the idea that I wasn't good enough and everyone around me was doing better. And I had to, I had to be able to give myself a break. So I developed that as a coping mechanism. So I don't know if this has been helpful for anyone. I'm going to put it out there anyhow, but I'm not sure it's been helpful for anyone. It is sort of a brain dump for me because I've told my story a million times in public, but I don't remember telling it with the feelings that I have right now. I, you know, it was long enough ago and remote enough ago that, that I don't remember it in the same way. And I'm kind of, in a way, I'm, it's a gift to get this, this dream slash nightmare prior to telling my story at DS World because these feelings are very raw. And I think I can carry that. I can tell a shorter version of this while I'm telling my story at DS World because, and, I guess my thing is, is that maybe a lot of people don't run into this, these kind of feelings, but if there's anyone that is, who's in dental school, I want to talk to them. I want to help them because uh, it was help that I didn't have. If I had known that that was going, that's what was going on. And that if I could just step back and have some perspective that this isn't the most important thing in the world, I might've been better off. I don't know if I would have listened to myself to be honest, but that's kind of where I was. And I'd forgotten about that. It had been long enough ago and I, and, and, you know, you heal over time, but, but this dream brought it back. And I remember now why I felt the way that I did. So I thought this would be an interesting thing for people who listen to me to hear about. Again, it's a bit of a downer, but the great news is, is I'm not like that all the time now. You know, it's, I've, I've kind of moved past that, but remembering it like this has been probably helpful. And, and maybe if it can help someone else, I hope that it does. So uh, thanks for listening. If uh, if this has rung any bells with you, I'd love to hear from you at Alan, A-L-A-N, at the Alan Mead Experience. Uh, if dental school was great for you and you had coping mechanisms that you used well in dental school, I would like to hear about that too. I don't hate you. I'm jealous of you is what it comes down to. And I would love to know, like, what do you tell? What do you tell someone who's struggling in this way? You know, what what could you do to help someone? What could you do to see that this was the struggle that they were going through. I don't know. I just, I think it's important and maybe it isn't important anymore. Maybe they're teaching people better in dental school. Maybe dental school isn't the trauma 
for most people that it was for me. I don't even know, but that was my experience and this dream really brought it back. So again, thanks so much for listening to the show. Uh, if you want to talk about it too, you could join the Allen Mead Experience Facebook group, which is growing slowly but surely. And I don't want it to grow too fast. I want this to be a group of people that really, uh, I want it to be a tribe. I want it to be people that understand where they're coming from because they listen to me ranting and continue to. Uh, so go to Facebook and look up the Allen Mead Experience. There is a password that I require everyone. The password is Premier, uh, the amazing supporters of this show. You can spell it any way you want. I don't care. I'll let you in. But that's the password. You're not getting in without it. And, uh, boy, I hope you I hope you have uh, better dreams than I did. And I hope I hope someone found this helpful. And if you are going to Dense Placerona World, I will see you there. Looking forward to meeting you. And uh, we'll talk to you again next time. <laughs>